You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast (laughs) is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hello, you are joining me for episode 242 of the Blended Family Podcast. And today we're going to be talking to Heather McGuire, who is the founder of the Prism Parenting Podcast and Program. And so I think you're really going to like today's interview. We're going to be talking about defiant children and behavioral issues. And I think we all have maybe a child or two that has a behavioral problem from time to time. So I think you're going to find the information very valuable. But before we get to that, I promised you guys last week when we had on Kristen Bowen from Living the Good Life Naturally, we had her on to talk about her magnesium products, and I promised you that I was going to come back today and give you a full report, and so I'm ready to do that. Before I do, I just wanted to remind you that she is giving away four jugs of the soak, and I'm going to actually announce those winners next week. I wanted to give some people a little bit more time to enter into that. So again, this is not like the typical giveaway where I choose a random name from my mailing list. By the way, if you want to subscribe to the mailing list, it's blendedfamilypodcast.com slash subscribe. That is usually how you are automatically entered into the giveaways, but this one is such a high level giveaway that I can't just pick a name as well as I want to make sure that whoever receives this product really can use it. So if you are still interested in entering the drawing to receive a free jug of the magnesium soak, all you need to do is write to me. Let me know, Melissa at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Let me know why you think that you really need to do this. And also, I'm hoping to get your word that you will commit to doing as close to the 30-day soak as you can, as well as giving me your personal review after. I would love that. So just write to me and let me know. You have a few more days to do that before I pick some winners. During this first couple of weeks, if you make an order, you get the free magnesium cream. I am going to let you know how that is in just a moment. But if you want that, you just need to add it to the cart first. And then don't forget to use the code BLENDED. That's all in capital letters, just the word BLENDED. And so after, let's see, a week after this, you're hearing this episode, um, or I should say a week after this episode goes live, you will be still able to use that blended promo code, but then you will switch to receiving 10% off your order, which is still a fabulous deal. So let me tell you how I like this product. So as you know, I have a lot of pain, chronic pain every single day. I have a pretty high physical impact job, and so I'm always hurting and I have a problem with my atlas, which is the top bone in in my spine. And the doctors can never seem to get it to stay in place. I tried traditional chiropractic. That wasn't working. And then I tried this upper cervical care where they put that atlas back in place with a sound wave. They don't even really have to touch you. It's pretty amazing. But even then, I was only holding for two to three days. 
It was becoming very problematic, very costly, and very upsetting for me. And so I was really excited to try this product. And I can honestly say that since I have started this, I have been holding my adjustments. So the first, let's see, the first month I held for a full month, full four weeks, and then I did lose it. And then I went, but that was still a miracle, you guys, from three days to a month. Uh, and then now I'm at six weeks right now and I'm still holding. I actually canceled my appointment today because I didn't need it. And so I will tell you, I know that it's working as far as even that. But the way that I do it, because I don't soak in the tub every night, and I did get pretty close to that 30-day soak. I might have missed a few days, but on the days that I didn't want to take a bath, I would just sit at my desk while I was working and I filled a metal basin and I would just soak my feet while I worked, which was so relaxing, it felt so good. And then most evenings I would take a bath, especially that first month, because that's what I was doing anyway with my Epsom salts and that was the only way to really relieve my pain. After a soaking, I definitely notice that I am much more relaxed and like I said, I'm holding my adjustments longer. That is a miracle in itself. I feel much less pain when I do get out of the bath. So the soak is definitely, definitely working. I actually just ordered myself another bottle last night. So that should tell you, and I paid for it, uh, so that should tell you how much that is working for me. Now on to the magnesium cream. Absolutely love, love, love this product. I can't say enough about it. I have tried all kinds of creams, Tiger Balm, Bengay, you name it. I've tried everything on my neck and on my, I get these really bad knots. Well, this magnesium cream is incredible. And every time I feel like my adjustment, like I'm losing it because I'll start to build up some pressure there in my neck. Every time I feel that way, I just rub some of that cream on and my adjustment just repairs itself. I'm not kidding. Also the knots, my husband will rub the cream on the knots. I get really bad knots across my shoulder blades. It's working amazing. Everybody in my family is benefiting from this magnesium cream. My mother-in-law, she's got a really bad back herself. We call her spaghetti spine because she's got like the letter C in the middle of her spine. I don't know how she stands. She's an amazing woman, but we've been using that on her at night because she can't sleep. And on the nights that she can't sleep, we will give her the cream and what do you know, she's able to rest. It doesn't take all the pain away, right? It's not a miracle thing, but we notice a huge improvement in both of those two products and we use those every single day, every single day. The other product that I got was these bath bombs. Now I'm not really a bath bomb kind of a girl. I do bathe, but I never really saw the flare with the bath bombs. My kids like them. Well, I got these with my order and I wanted to check them out. Well, I tell you what, these have to be the most luxurious bath bombs I have ever felt in my life. First of all, they are huge. They come in many, many different scents that are just gorgeous and amazing. But the bath bomb itself, I, I don't know how to describe my skin when I get out of the bath, when I use that, it's almost like velvet. The most amazing soft skin and they also 
have magnesium in them. So you're getting medicated at the same time as you're getting a luxurious bath. So those are the products that I have tried thus far. I actually just ordered the magnesium spray as well. So I'll let you know how that does. I'm thinking of using that. And I haven't tried anything else, but when I went on the site, I saw she really does have some amazing bath and body stuff. She's got some supplements as well and other things. So you should totally check out livingthegoodlifenaturally.com. Use the code BLENDED in capital letters to get your 10% off. Or if you're ordering when this show is live until a week after, you will actually get a free magnesium cream with your order, which is valued at $38. So that is an amazing gift in itself. And I'm telling you, it works. So if you have muscle pains or joint pains or whatever, you will love the magnesium cream. So that is my detailed report. Everybody in my family loves it too. And so I hope that you get a chance to try the product. And don't forget, you still have a few days to enter in to the contest by letting me know why you need it and letting me know that you will try it and you'll give me a report back and I will enter you into the drawing to win a large jug of magnesium soak for yourself valued at almost $100. So that is all I have for today. Next week we're going to be talking to Florence Ann Romano and she is the Windy City Nanny and I think this is a really important show for you guys to hear because I know many of you are struggling right now with trying to figure out how you're going to get back to work and you've got the kids homeschooling. You know, we were cleaning somebody's house yesterday and I felt so bad for this mom because she's trying to be a mom, she's trying to be a teacher, she had a bunch of kids in the house and she was running from computer to computer. While we were there trying to help her clean the house and it's just really difficult for parents. So even if you're at home, you know, a nanny could be really convenient right now just as a way to help with the schoolwork. So we will be talking to her next week. You don't want to miss it. And we're going to get right to the interview now just after a word from this week's sponsor, FAIR. Enjoy the show. Divorce is never easy. And when children are in the picture, it can be extra tricky especially when communicating with your ex is a challenge. Now there's an app with you and your kids in mind. It's called FAIR, F-A-Y-R. FAIR is the easiest, most intuitive, and conflict-diffusing co-parenting app on the market. FAIR helps eliminate misunderstandings while also improving communication between co-parents. In the long run, creating a loving environment for your kids. Here's what you can do on the FAIR app. There's a time-sharing calendar to track custody, exchange days, and never forget those special events documentable text messaging, and an expense tracker so both parents can add and monitor expenses, track receipts, and add notes. GPS check-in, that's a court-verifiable way to document your presence at all GPS-verified locations. A monthly parenting report to download with your details. A private journal to take notes, add photos, and screenshots. A file vault to keep your records, photos, and documents organized and in one place. The opportunity to export all of your records into a convenient, time and date stamped PDF when you need documentation for legal matters. And there's a Spanish version of the app as well. FAIR allows you to experience co-parenting in a totally new way. Simply, inexpensively, transparently, and fairly. Lose the he said, she said, and be the best parent you can be. Be F-A-Y-R FAIR. Subscribe at BeFair.com. That's B-E-F-A-Y-R.com 
and then download FAIR from the App Store or Google Play. Go to FAIR.com for more details. And don't forget to use the promo code BLENDING to receive your special discount. I'm thrilled to be here with Dr. Heather McGuire today, who has spent over a decade studying behavior and working with children, parents, and educators. She's the proud mama of two kids, a professor teaching school psychology courses, and the founder of PRISM Behavior, which helps parents manage challenging behavior with confidence. She connects with parents on her podcast and social media, which we will talk about. Her free parenting guide, which we will also tell you how to get later, will assist parents who want to learn practical ways to motivate their kiddos. So welcome to the show, Dr. Heather. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, we've got lots of juicy stuff to talk about. So, uh, but first, what I always ask my guests is I want to know a little bit about you so the listeners can get to know you a little bit better. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about you? Yeah. Well, first off, let's talk about my family. My husband and I this uh, summer celebrated 15 years of being married. So basically we got married when we were babies, (laughs) right? Right out of college. Um, But yeah, we've been married for 15 years. We live in Southern California and we have two kids together. So we have Landon and he is just now starting fourth grade and we have Addie Addison and she is in the second grade. And yeah, so we, uh, you know, before all of this, uh, it, it was a, it was a pretty normal, like my kids went to public school and all that. And now with the uh, coronavirus and everything, I'm actually starting this new endeavor of homeschooling. Um, and so that's, that's an interesting journey that our family is going through right now. Um, and then professionally, I have, like you said, so I have a, a doctorate. It's an educational psychology. So basically what that means is, uh, you know, I am trained in school psychology, And what school psychologists do is they assess kids to determine if they have disabilities that might prevent them from accessing like curriculum in the general education environment. So that's like the one hat I wear. And then I'm actually a certified behavior analyst. It's called BCBA, Board Certified Behavior Analyst. And basically what that entails is that I have um, a a certification that allows me to work with all sorts of kids, but oftentimes kids with autism, okay? And so kids with autism who struggle struggle with all sorts of behavior issues from like tantrums and, you know, all that jazz. And I help the kids and I help the parents. So that's kind of like my background, um, academic background and uh, with my kids. Well, that's amazing. And I wish I knew you some years ago. Um, We have four teenagers now, but at one point we had four young ones and we had some of them had some behavioral issues, especially my oldest daughter. And boy, I wish that I had some tools in my back pocket at that time because I was a young mom and I really didn't know what to do. And she was a very, very defiant child like uber defiant. Mm -hmm. And I just never knew how to deal with it. And often I would end up on the floor crying and nobody ever knew what to do. So I wish that I knew about prison behavior back then, but I know the listeners don't know what prison behavior is. So why don't you tell us what it is and how it actually came to be? 
Yeah. So when I was in my doctorate program and I was becoming a behavior analyst and I was working with kids with disabilities, what I found is I would, you know, talk to parents of typically developing kids, right? And the parents would also have a bunch of you know, behavior issues that they were walking through. And then unfortunately, you know, what I found, and I don't know if you find this too, be the case, Melissa, is that like, if you look on the internet, for example, you know, there are just so many opinions out there about, you know, the right way to parent and, you know, most uh, definitely the wrong way to parent. In fact, I enjoyed you. um, One of your shows recently was, I think, about giving people space to have uh, different opinions. And unfortunately, I don't think parents do that very well for each other, especially today in today's, you know, current environment. But what I found was that parents were really struggling to find answers. And, you know, as a behavior analyst, a lot of things that I understood you know, that it wasn't available to the average parent, you know, through like insurance and all these things, I could be hired to go into the home of, you know, if you had a child with a disability. But like, if you just were going through kind of the average behavior difficulty with your kiddo, you know, the, the, in terms of the resources that were available to you, I just felt like they weren't adequate, if you will. So that was, you know, while I was in my doctorate program. And then I kind of like, you know, it was in the back of my brain and I, you know, was walking through just kind of my professional life. So I I worked at an agency. I was the director of an agency providing services to kids with autism and, you know, still kind of thinking through these things. Um, And then about, I would say, hmm. A year or so ago, I finally kind of like looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, if I'm going to do this ever, I need to start it now. So I kind of the first thing I did was I started the Prism Parent Podcast where I just tried to, you know, come to parents in a way that, you know, I I kind of had to like take my professor hat off, if you will, because I'm teaching, but I'm trying to be very engaging and parent friendly and say things in ways that, you know, don't necessarily, it doesn't sound like a textbook of course, right? So I'm trying to teach parents things that are evidence-based, based upon science, and that are backed up by research, but in a way that's like engaging, not boring, and that is very practical. Because if it's not practical, you know, who's got time for that, right? Parents definitely of especially parents of young kids, they just don't have time for that. So I started um, Prism Parenting Podcast, and then I started my website, um, you know, prismbehavior.com, and I started to just kind of accumulate resources for parents. Okay. So you have resources. So tell me, um, what, what is prison behavior though? It's just, it's, it's what you do to collect resources and teach people about their behavior problems with their kids or what else is included with that? Yeah. So, um, on the podcast, we just go through all sorts of topics, right? So whether it's, you know, I think some of the things we're going to talk about today, like picky eating and sleep issues and all of that. Right. So we talk about those, those topics. Um, and then also on the website, I have some like video blogs that go a little bit more in depth into some of those topics. Um, and I actually wrote a book, um, called, it's just an ebook and it's called from defiant to compliant parenting strategies that just work. So what the book is, it's, it's basically, you know, in terms of all like the proactive things that parents can do to decrease defiance. So instead of just reacting to defiance, there's a lot of things that you can actually do that will minimize it from happening in the first place. And that's one of the things I like to 
the stress with parents. You know, I, so often as parents, we are just kind of dealing in the reactive state of parenting, if you will. And when I say reactive state, it's like, you know, we're just kind of like responding when our kids are acting out, right? And we're kind of, we feel, you know, like we're kind of, you know, chasing it around of like, you know, stop doing that. Don't do that. You know, when we're reacting, when in reality, if we spend the effort on the front side and kind of focus on like proactive approaches to parenting, like I discuss in the book, then what we'll do is we'll be able to kind of prevent some of those problematic behaviors from ever happening in the first place. And then, I mean, you're going to spend the effort anyways, right? So it's better to spend it on the front end and to have, you know, a more calm and, you know, home environment and to have that you know, a better sense of being able to connect with your kids. Um, And so that's what, you know, I focus on a lot in terms of like the resources on the website. Um, And then uh, we can, later we can talk about it, but I have a parenting course as well, which kind of takes everything that I talk about on my podcast and in the book and all of that, but just takes it to the next level for parents who really, really want to see a dramatic shift in their home. Yeah, well, that's, I'm so happy that you're doing all of this because parents, and I love, we'll talk about your course now since the conversation kind of led that way because the course is called Parenting with Confidence. And I think everything that you were just speaking of is huge because many times that's what we are lacking as a parent. We lack the confidence to know, are we making the right decisions? Is this the way I should be handling this situation? And oftentimes we just don't know what to do because we're just so uncertain and we don't know the proper resources. Like you said earlier, there are so many different places to turn, but everyone's saying a different thing and we don't always know what really works. And what I like about you is that you're a behavior analyst. And so you really understand the motives behind behaviors, which which does put you at the front. It does put you in the proactive state because if you can understand why people behave the way they behave, then often you can figure out what to do about it. And so I just think that it's amazing. So go ahead and uh, share a little bit more about the course. Yeah. So when I was developing it, I actually surveyed a lot of parents and I just kind of wanted to see, you know, I, 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 you know, rather than just like, let's say talking to my friends and kind of guessing, I wanted to ask parents, you know, what kind of struggles they were actually having. And so what you're saying in terms of like why behavior happens, um, you know, parents, they, they oftentimes they feel like their kids act out for no reason. And, you know, as a behavior analyst, I know that there are reasons behind behavior always. Okay. And so, you know, I, I wanted to kind of, so when I heard that, when, you know, parents are like, you know, I want to figure out why behavior happens. I kind of took notes. Right. And then also, you know, parents want to know, for example, like about defiant behavior that comes up time and time again. It's interesting because I feel like parents, you know, when I talk to parents about, you know, why they, you know, when they discipline, what are they, you know, what, what are they disciplining about? It seems like defiance is for parents. One of the things that just gets under our skin, right? (laughs) Is blatant defiance, right? And so, um, you know, so understanding those things is, I took those things into account. And so really what the course is, it's, it's teaching you. So for example, from a behavioral perspective, um, behavior happens for two like overarching reasons. Okay. So as people, we behave to get things. Okay. And we behave to get out of things. Okay. 
It sounds very simple, but, you know, either we want to get attention, um, and by the way, attention isn't always like, you know, what you would think. Sometimes even reprimands or, you know, whatnot, those function as attention. Oh, yes. Yeah, and kids would rather have some attention in any form than no attention. So that is still attention. So, you know, whether, so kids behave to, to get things like attention or maybe it's like actual items, things, or access to activities, right? And then the other reason why kids are acting out is, you know, to get out of things. They don't want to clean their room. They don't want to do their homework or whatever. And so based upon like your hypothesis, okay, so I teach parents how to kind of hypothesize like why their kid is acting out. You're going to actually act differently. So for example, when I have parents who tell me, oh, I've tried timeout. Timeout doesn't work. You know, we, we dig a little bit deeper because here's the thing. Timeout works in certain circumstances and but not others. So if, for example, if your kid is having a tantrum and it's, you know, the, the situation, the scenario is that they're like, you know, they're supposed to be cleaning their room and then they have a tantrum. If you put them on timeout in that situation, they might actually prefer to delay cleaning their room than be on timeout, right? And so in that case, timeout might actually backfire versus in a different scenario, Let's say like, you know, your kids are, um, uh, you know, uh, watching television and they're, you know, say they say something rude to a sibling or, or whatnot, you know, a little timeout, which by the way, might just be like pausing the television because really timeouts don't have to be sitting on a chair in a corner or something like that. You know, even just a time out, like a break like that will actually serve its purpose and be more effective. So that's just kind of like one of the examples and scenarios that we talk through when we're trying when in the course when I'm trying to explain like why behavior is happening and what are some both like, and we talk about proactive and then more of the like reactive, you know, parts of parenting. Yeah, that's terrific. And what I really like about you and what you offer is that for my blended families, a lot of times maybe you're getting into a blended family and you're like, well, my kids seem great. I, I know how to handle them. I've had them for their whole life. Everything's fine. And then you get into a relationship and now you've got some new step kids and their behavior is completely different. And you yeah. may not know how to really cope with it or deal with it because it might not look like the behavior of your own children. And so this is really good because it's a great resource for you to go on there and look up some of these different issues that maybe you don't have experience with because it isn't always easy to deal with a stepchild's issues as much as it right. is your bio child. So I really um, like that. I'd like to get into um, some behavior issues uh, because I think that we can offer a lot of value today for the listeners. They can have some key tips and takeaways by listening. Perfect. Um, Okay. So the first thing I want to do is real quick talk about um, a defiant child because, and I know there are many different behavioral issues, but like you said, a defiant child is the one that we all really don't know how to deal with. And there are some children, like my daughter, it didn't matter what I threw at her. I could take something away. That didn't work. I could put her in timeout. That didn't work. Like she, she would outsmart me every time. <laughs> so I want to know, uh, what types, we know what a defiant child is, but what type of parenting approaches like just do not work with a defiant child so people can stop doing that right now? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the thing that typically works the best is something actually that, and, it, it, and we'll, we can like start here and I'll, I'll go back and yeah. I'll answer your question. Um, but 
you know, if we wait till that moment that our kids are screaming at us, we're not going to accomplish very much in that moment, right? It's back to that proactive part of parenting about making the change. And I, the, the number one thing I always recommend is setting up some sort of reward system with your child. And I know people are like, oh, that doesn't work with my child. So we'll, we could talk a little bit more about that. But the, the reality is if you have some sort of reward system in your home, your kids will act out less. Okay. So, and by the way, reward systems look different based upon your child. They look different based upon your child's age. Okay. So for example, my kids are both in elementary school right now. And the reward system I use with them is a quarter-based system, right? And, um, you know, over the years it's changed and it's been for different things. But, you know, what I typically do is I isolate one or two things that my kids are having a difficult time with. So, for example... In the past with my son, it was doing his homework without complaining or arguing, right? Um, and so, um, and uh, what what we what we did, and and by the way, he helped me come up with the reward system because that increases like the buy-in. Okay, is we sat down and we talked about it, and what we came up with was that every day, you know, that he was going to earn um, a quarter. Okay, and when we started this, he was you know young first grade-ish, I think. And, you know, so just for completing his homework, he was going to earn a quarter. And if he did his homework without having a meltdown, okay, then he would earn two quarters, right? And then, you know, what we did is typically then at the end of the week or, you know, later at the end, you know, we could add up more money as time went on. Um, You know, maybe at the end of the month, he would get to pick out something um, that he enjoyed, okay? And so just by having that quarter system, um, we were able to solve a lot of issues. And so I came up with that as like, and by the way, that quarter system allowed him to have kind of that long-term reward. But I think that one of the things that helps reward systems work is that you also have some sort of short-term reward. Okay. And so what we used with him in that situation was like a, a more of like what I would call like a first then approach. Okay. Which is basically fancy of like, I just changed the order of his day so that he had to do his home homework first, and then he got to go do something fun. So even that like first then approach is a kind of a mini reward system in itself. And then we were able to combat that defiant behavior, right? And so then, you know, once I started to realize, because before that we were going through, it was, it was the same every day, sit down. And by the way, you can know all the right answers. Like I went to school for a long time. I understand behavior, but that does not mean I'm the perfect parent at all. In fact, yesterday I totally had a meltdown myself and I yelled at my kids and I had to like go back and apologize. Okay. So like, I'm definitely not above that. But what I realized is like he and I were going back and forth every day and I was constantly disciplining. So as parents, I think like we had that, you need that light bulb, okay, of like if I'm constantly disciplining for that same reason, I need to do something differently. I need to do something proactively um, to change it up. And really that, you know, developing a reward system with your child um, is is one of the, the number one strategies I've seen that parents can do that is an effect way to work with kids. Okay. That's great. And so what, what's one or two things that we should definitely not do? 
I would say in the moment, trying to negotiate with a child that's like already upset, um, you know, kind of like taking off my um, uh, behavior analyst hat, right? So as a behavior analyst, I'm you know analyzing behavior, but then, you know, in terms of like feelings and emotions, like I can put on my school psychology hat because I have that counseling background as well. I mean, when, when, when I'm upset, when he's upset or when my daughter's upset, it's really not the, the time to try to negotiate with, with him. It's also not the time for me to decide on a punishment because actually that was kind of the trap I ran into yesterday with my own kids is they, they did something and I, you know, it irks me because they, they were like in the hot tub together. And, um, then, you know, one of, I think my daughter threw her goggles at him and then, um, you know, then my son took the tube that he was in and he like, you know, pushed her with it and, you know, and, and I got so mad cause I'm like, you can't be aggressive with each other. So then I like threw out some like crazy, you know, like you don't get screens for this many days, you know? <laughs> and when you decide on the punishment in that moment, here's the thing, like both of my kids needed discipline, but like, I, you know, I needed a consequence. Like I'm all about that. Like, I, you know, some, some professionals who t- work with behavior don't want you to do any like more formal consequences. And I don't support that. Okay. So I, I, I needed to have a consequence with my kids, but that wasn't necessarily the best one for them in that moment. And I, that was kind of where the apology came in later. I, you know, apologize for, for yelling. And instead what I did was I had each of my kids write each other a note with like three things that they appreciate about the other person. And I still took away some screen time. I just limited their screen time today and tomorrow um, rather than completely took it away. And, um, and so, yeah. So anyways, I think in the moment, that's one of the traps we run into. It's like, you're grounded forever. Um, and so that, you know, um, and so I don't know, that's, that's at least one thing that comes to mind, if that makes sense. I I love that. That's actually really great advice because most parents do the opposite. And, uh, I know my, my husband would admit that he's, he's been known to do that as well. He would divvy out punishments and then not hold on to them because it wasn't really what he meant. And so that's actually some of the best advice I've ever heard is to not dole out the punishment while you are mad. So, and I love what else you said. I want to thank you for admitting that you are not perfect, even though you are a doctor and you have all this education behind you because it really helps everyone else feel like it's okay that we lose it sometimes. And when you can admit that as a professional, it kind of makes everyone else say, oh, okay, then it's okay that I lose it too. Yeah. No, and I think and we, we especially need that reminder because we just live in a world where of, you know, Instagram and Facebook where everybody's just posting their best everything and pretending to be a certain way. And so I, I you know, I think that first of all, if you're, if you're out there, you know, and you feel bad, about something that you've done or continue to do as a parent. Every day is a new day. I hate mom guilt. I hate dad guilt. I hate all of that, right? And so I think like making the, deciding to make a change is kind of like that first step. And then also kind of just realizing that no matter who the person is and no matter how they appear to be or to look online or whatever, just try not to compare yourself to them because what we see online and what we start to assume is everybody's reality, that just isn't true. Yeah. 
Yeah. Great advice. Thank you. So what I'd like to do next is for sake of time, I picked out four common behavioral issues that I know mostly everyone in my audience could probably relate to in some form. Perfect. So we'll go through the four of them. It's going to be sleeping issues, picky eating, lying and tantrums, but we'll do one at a time. So we'll start with sleeping issues. Um, so what I want to know from you is some common sleeping issues and what are the best approaches uh, to deal with that? Yeah. So one of the things I think a lot of parents talk about is, I mean, and you know, I mean, we could talk about sleeping from infancy, but that's not, I mean, that's kind of to be expected and not to say like if the parents who are listening, who are sleep deprived because they have babies, I feel for you. Okay. But you know, I think that one of the things that comes up a lot when I talk to parents is more the toddlers who used to sleep well, who no longer do. And so, you know, I, I think what ends up happening a lot of the time is we provide a lot of attention, okay, um, when our kids, you know, get out of bed. So even if we're like, you know, upset, we're trying to, we're like, you need to go to sleep and this is how it, you know, so we're using so many words. Mm -hmm. So I guess the first thing is like, when your kids are doing the wrong thing, this is just in general, but especially in this situation, try less is better, less is more in this case. So, you know, I just do a, I would recommend like a simple rule reminder, like right now it's bedtime, you know, it's time to go back to bed and, you know, trying to not just, you know, trying not to let your face become agitated as hard as it is and, you know, walking them back to bed and not, you know, not kind of falling into that trap of, um, are you hungry? What do you need? Whatever at least in our home, like when, unless there's an emergency, when it's time for bed, it's time for bed. And if you, cause once you start to have like, okay, you can have a snack today, then what do you think your kids are going to think tomorrow? Right. And so like having that structure of how, you know, um, what the, what the expectations are and what the schedule looks like is important. And I think too, that starts a little bit with like the routine before bed that as consistent as you can make that at, you know, the better. So whatever, you know, like in our, in our home, you know, we'll, the kids um, will get ready for bed and then they'll both get into their own beds by themselves. And then one parent goes into one room, the other parent goes into the other room. You know, we give our kids hugs. Um, we usually, um, you know, pray with our kids and then we switch. <laughs> and, you know, and they, and then, the, you know, that as the routine, you know, for toddlers, it might be, you know, you're going to sit down, you're going to read a book. It's great if you cuddle. Okay. I love cuddling with kids. But if you do that, what I would recommend is you set some sort of timer. Okay. So that it's the timer that ends your cuddling time, not you. And okay, it's time now because then you'll fall into the trap of, well, can you stay for a little bit longer or whatever? Right. And so just like that consistent routine. Um, and then I don't, have you heard of light alarms, Melissa? I, I know your kids that. are older, but one of the things that helped my kids a lot, both with naps and sleeping, was a light alarm. And basically what it is, is it's a little device. You can just buy it on Amazon and it changes colors when kids are allowed to have wake time or it's like, you know, so for example, it's so that your kids know that if they wake up and it's four in the morning, that it's still time to go to sleep, you know, it's sleeping time. So basically you can set the time and even though they can't tell time, they're like, okay, it's not green yet. So I'm not supposed to get up. 
right? And so it kind of like, you know, it takes a concept like time and helps break it down into a way that a topper can understand. So those are some ideas I have. Um, more complicated, what I've seen for for parents who have kids who have really difficult, like who are getting up multiple times in the night, I've recommended that they use actually a ticket system where, you know, like if your kid currently gets up four times a night, then what you can do is give them, start off with maybe like three tickets and allow them to, you know, come and give you a ticket and if they need to get up. Okay. And then if they only use their three tickets and don't come out at an additional time, so when they have no tickets left, then you can incorporate it again into some sort of reward system that they can earn, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, very, very helpful tips. And I would add, if you're having trouble with teenagers who won't go to bed at night, uh, I would recommend not letting them have their cell phone in the room because that was one of the issues that we have had previously is that they wouldn't go to sleep because they had the cell phone in the room and we had to change the rules on that. So that's yes. just what I would say about, about that. But okay, well, that was great. So let's talk, let's move on to something else, which is picky eating, which I know parents get all up in arms <laughs> about this. It's like oh, yeah. if the child doesn't eat, they think they're going to starve to death and it's, it becomes a battle of the minds. And so, um, and every child is different and it can be hard with a blended family. It can be really, really hard to try to satisfy everyone's palate in the house. I mean, there's, I think there's only one or two meals that I can ever make that all seven people in my family like, uh, otherwise it's, you know, sometimes I'll make two and three different things and it can get very challenging. So, uh, tell me some, some common issues you've seen surrounding picky eating and what are some things we can do to help? Yeah. So um, it is one of those, it's a hot topic, controversial topic. There's a lot of different people with different perspectives. So I'll, I'll give you mine. Um, Basically, you know, and I I can kind of hear it in terms of what you, what you're saying is that what I would recommend typically is obviously we're going to try to make things that people like. I mean, if you're, I I don't know about you, but I'm the one who makes dinner in my family. And obviously I'm going to try not to make things that my kids hate. Okay. I mean, I'm going to try. Right. But the rule that I like to recommend parents take is that um, everybody needs to eat a little bit of everything. This is for young kids. We'll talk about we can talk about teenagers in a second. But the, the rule in our family is, you know, with my kids still being in elementary school, I never would tell the kids to finish their plate. Um, or anything like that, that, you know, we want to encourage kids to start to understand when they're full. Um, And it's okay for kids to have preferences. But unfortunately, kids have to be exposed to different types of foods so many different times before, you know, they can actually learn how to like things, okay? Actually, my son was very, very picky when he was younger, and now he is very much not picky. And it's because, well, I joke around, I'm more stubborn than him. No, I don't know. <laughs> but but the rule in our house is you have to eat a little bit of everything. Um, and so I would just encourage that. And obviously, you can't shove food down kids' throat. I wouldn't ever say that. But if you can encourage them, so what I used to do, I don't do this anymore. I don't need to. What I used to do is, you know, if there was a certain food that like of the, you know, based upon what I was serving, right? So like, let's say my son really likes, I don't know, a dinner roll, right? Who doesn't like carbs? I like carbs. He likes carbs. Okay. But if he only, you know, if I was worried that he was going to just eat that dinner roll and then eat nothing else, what I would say to him, you know, was, okay, once you eat one bite of everything else on your plate, then you can have your roll 
right? And, you know, it's not like it's a little bit of like eat your broccoli and then you get a dessert, right? But really, it's just encouraging him like that. He Even if it's like you might start out with like the smallest little bite, but at least he tries it, okay? And then eventually kids, you know, they can learn how to like a lot of different things. Um, and I would just say like start small. So if you're listening to this and, you know, your kid's a very picky eater, assuming they don't have like nutritional deficits, if they do definitely talk to your doctor, but you might just start with like every meal you want them to try one thing um, that's, you know, different than what they normally eat. And you could give them, give them a choice. Choices help a lot. Like, okay, out of the three things on your plate, which one do you want to try today? Like that's if you're starting from a point where your kids are really picky. Um, And then like kind of thinking on to teenagers and whatnot, I think that the more kids can be involved, teenagers especially can be involved in meal planning and preparation, um, the more buy-in you'll get. If you have the time and energy to help, to have them help you with some sort of like planting of, you know, a garden or things like that, that can get kids kind of excited. Um, or like a meal box, like you could do one of those like meal kits and then they'll, they'll help and, and whatnot. So those are just some like off the top of my head suggestions. I don't know if any of you have questions about any of the, those recommendations. No, that's, that's really good. And I like what you said, because it does take many exposures to a vegetable, maybe for a child to understand that they like them. And I always tell people don't panic. I mean, I was a kid who ate hot dogs, chicken nuggets, um, maybe peanut butter and jelly. I didn't eat really hardly anything. I was so picky. And today I have a full balanced diet. I eat very well. And so it's going to be okay. I promise. Um, Okay. So the next topic is lying. And this one, I can personally say I've dealt with over and over in my own house. And I don't know, we, we used to say that if the child's lips are moving, it's 90% chance that it's a lie coming out because especially as they get a little bit older, sometimes the younger ones. And so, um, and I want to say one thing about it before you go is that in a blended family, I feel from my experience that the lying happens a little bit more often because the kids can do that. They get to manipulate situations a little bit more. They know that the parents aren't always communicating back and forth. So it becomes very easy to lie to kind of sway things the way you need them to sway. And so I want to know, we, we were never able to fully control it or figure it out. (laughs) But we always knew when they were lying. That was the funniest thing. They thought they were slick, but we always knew, but we couldn't ever get it to stop. So what's your advice about lying? Yeah. Well, first of all, let's talk about like things that are developmentally appropriate. Okay. So typically young, very young kids don't lie. Like they almost, you think that they should lie, but they don't, you know, when they're really young, it's funny. They'll just tell you like, no, I I stole that cookie. I just did it. You know, (laughs) you're like, okay. Um, But as they are getting, people don't always realize, first of all, you actually need to learn how to lie. Like it's a skill that you need to have to some sort of extent. I'm not saying you should be a person who tells a lot of lies, but there are places in life where you can't be brutally honest with people. You have to be able to read the situation. So interestingly enough, kids do experiment with lying and they need to lie to some extent to kind of survive in in culture, if you will. But like around like, you know, first grade, kindergarten, first grade, if your kids are starting to lie, don't panic because it's kind of 
normal. So typically at that age, it is kind of funny because you can totally tell when your kids are lying. Okay. Cause it just it doesn't make sense. You know, <laughs> it's like they have a, you know, kind of going back to the cookie instead of saying that they stole the cookie. They're like, no, I didn't steal the cookie. Meanwhile, the cookie is like, all they have crumbs the on their face. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So like with young kids, I would, you know, talk to them and ask them a lot of questions because once you kind of start to ask them questions, a lot of times they'll end up telling you the truth anyways. And you can start to have, they're starting to kind of develop those feelings of empathy and perspective taking. So kind of walking them through like how it made you feel and things like that is helpful and talking about you know, reading stories and talking about why telling the truth is important, you know, is, is really important. And then also you can kind of get into some of the, if an adult tells you to lie, cause that's just of personal safety and body mm-hmm. safety as well. Right. Um, that adults, you know, shouldn't tell you to say lies to your parents and things like that. Right. I think it gets a little trickier as kids get older. And I think it has to do with like trust and, you know, teaching your kids kind of like that balance. Like you want to give them that, uh, like the, uh, the ability, if they have lied to come and tell you the truth and they, you want them to prefer to tell you the truth. Okay. (laughs) Then to keep going with the lie. Right. Cause if you just punish them the moment that they, you know, told you the truth and you know, what you might actually do is develop in your kids a, you know, very strong ability to lie. They'll just get really good at it. Um, So I would always distinguish between if you find out, you know, with older kids, if you know for sure that they lied and they didn't tell you, um, I would, you know, say that that is a certain level of, you know, discipline that follows. Okay. Versus if they come and tell you, I think that natural consequences are still going to happen and discipline sometimes still needs to happen. But I would take that into consideration where, you know, in t- kind of talking to them, like, I'm, I'm really glad, glad you told me if I would have found out this is probably what I would have done, but let's, you know, in involving the child in a, in a uh, what do you think is an appropriate consequence? Okay. And that sort of situations. And actually it's kind of funny, um, uh, you know, at least with the, you know, like, let's say more of like the, you know, early, like preteen and younger, if you have, if you involve them into deciding what their consequences, sometimes they'll be like, well, I think I should be grounded for, you know, whatever. Like they come up with a worse consequence and you're like, well, okay, maybe that's a little much, you know, but I think like just starting to communicate with the older kids about trust and that trust can be earned back, but it's harder to earn trust back and, you know, what they can do to earn their trust back and, th- and things like that, if that makes, um, if that, if that drives with, uh, with what you think. Yeah, absolutely. It's great, great advice. And the last category is tantrums. And I have had lots of experience with this, although yeah. no experience in being able to rectify it. She eventually grew out of it, but we had one child that had tantrums. I'm telling you from, as soon as she could, all the way up until she was about six years old. And these would be full out. Like I would have to go to the supermarket and I couldn't, I mean, I was alone, right? So I had to go and she would be screaming from the minute we got in the store, everybody would be looking, but I had to do my shopping. I could, you know, I, I couldn't let her win that one, but there were other times that I had to leave or times that she would like, we were at an amusement park and she threw herself on the ground and told me she hates me in front of the whole place. (laughs) So, I mean, now I can laugh about that. Right. But when you are a parent that is dealing with children that have tantrums, it is so emotionally draining that, I mean, I, I believe me, I know. And so I want to know from you, what 
what should we do about tantrums? Because a lot of people deal with that. Yeah. So as a behavior analyst, I'm always thinking about like what, what's triggering the tantrum, right? So a lot of times there's certain contexts or situation that often, you know, trigger a tantrum. So um, actually it'd be interesting for me to kind of just ask you that right now. So if you're thinking back, um, were there certain situations like would she tantrum when she had to go somewhere she didn't want? Or was it that, you know, when you told her she had to do something or like why, you know, what, what was a typical situation where a tantrum might happen? Well, it's interesting because um, looking back, we now found out that she's a very empathic person. And so had I known that when she was a young child, I would have understood why every time we left the house and went anywhere, she had a very difficult time being around people. And I didn't know that then, of course, how would you know? So, um, but yeah, for her, it was, it was literally every time we would leave or it was just, you know, if she just didn't get her way about something. Yeah. So transitions can be really hard for kids, right? And so, you know, one of the things that we talk about is what's called priming, you know, so it's trying to tell kids ahead of time, like what the schedule for the day is going to be, Um, you know, we're going to do this, this and this, and then we're going to go to the store, right? Or, um, and so, you know, and even like, you know, um, asking or telling your kids, okay, in five minutes, we're going to leave to go to the store, even just by like giving them that simple, like, um, kind of tip off that they're going to have to transition soon. That's one thing that can help in, in a situation where kids are having a difficult time transitioning. Um, another thing is that sometimes what you can do is you, if you find, for example, that your kids are having tantrums in, let's say the grocery store what I would suggest doing is putting kind of like a little baggie of things together, if you will, that your kids only get to have while you're at the store. Okay. So it could be a little sticker book or something that they really enjoy. Okay. It has to be something they like. Um, and you can get their buy-in if, you know, if you let them help pick what those things are. And then the trick is you have to keep it valuable. So they can't have it in any other opportunity. Um, and maybe, so maybe you have some of those, maybe you also have some snacks. You basically, what you do is if, if things are, if there's things to entertain them and whatever, then they're going to be like less likely to have that meltdown during that transition. Right. So those are kind of two different things that you can do. And then if you do have a reward system that you're using, then you can set like a, you know, um, here we're going to the store. If you don't tantrum while we're at the store, you're going to earn X, right? Um, and you can, you know, you know, kind of set that up. Or if you already have a reward system, it could be that they earn their quarters or whatever, stars if they're younger um, and, and whatnot. So kind of that shift of like, okay, I know um, when I transition or when I go to the store, my child is most often, you know, going to have a hard time with it. What can I do to kind of plan ahead for that? If, um, and then, you know, so that, that would be like a situation for, you know, versus I think that the other one you said, right. was when they don't get their way. Yeah. Right. And, um, so the, you know, so there's kind of two parts to that. One is if they don't get their way, um, you know, if they don't want to do something. And so I think the hard thing is if, if kids are doing something that they don't want to do and they have a meltdown, unfortunately, we sometimes have to kind of like wait it out. 
Okay. Um, and it's hard. And I guess like, you know, we, nobody wants to be the person. Um, actually it's, it's funny. I'm like yesterday we went to the beach and I, it's funny. You said six-year-old, my, my daughter's seven and she doesn't have a lot of tantrums, but I think it was because, um, she didn't get enough sleep the night before. If I think kind of back to, you know, where she was emotionally. And then we, um, the, where we went to the beach, there's all these stairs, Okay. And so we were all carrying our stuff and I was carrying as much as I could carry. So she had to carry her little boogie board. Okay. So we, and it's the end of the day and she's tired. Right. Um, but at the same time, you know, so if I would have maybe planned ahead, maybe I would have taken less things to the beach or, um, if I would have planned ahead, maybe she wouldn't have gone to bed so late the night before. But in that moment right there, when she's having her meltdown, cause she doesn't want to go up the stairs, I kind of just have to take a breath talk in really simple language to her and wait for her to kind of check back in with reality. And um, I just told her very simply, like, you know, I'm sorry that you're upset, but we, we need to go to the car. And I just kind of waited. And so sometimes in those situations where kids are trying to get out of something that they can't get out of, you are you are in that moment stuck, just kind of like waiting them out. Okay. Um, you know, versus if they're tantruming to get something. Okay. So like, let's say you're at the store. Actually, when I was a kid, um, I think that I had a tantrum in the grocery store to get my mom to buy the little mermaid, the movie. <laughs> and I think that my mom bought it for me because she was so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and by the way, if you're listening, you're like, oh, I've totally done that before. Um, that's okay. But I think as much as we can, not giving in in that moment, that's going to help us for that moment. But then next time it's going to be a lot harder, right? And so just reminding ourselves, you know, not to give in in that moment as much as we can um, is, is important. So, you know, you want it to be that you don't, if your kids have already had like inappropriate behavior, you want to do your best not to give them what they want in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because as soon as you do, then they remember that for next time and they're going to push harder and harder um, yeah. until they get you to break. So gosh, that you are full of such valuable information. I'm so excited for my listeners because not only did they get a lot of takeaways here, but I know they're going to check out what you have to offer. So we've got the podcast you talked about called Prison Parenting, which has got each episode, great information, just like this, but even better, full of tips and practical things that you can do. Then she's got her video blog. So you have to go, which is your website again? Can you announce yeah, that? Yeah, prismbehavior.com. I always enunciate prism, not prison, <laughs> prism, P-R-I-S-M behavior.com. That's right. And so you've got a video blog there. And then, of course, don't forget that she has a course called Parenting with Confidence if you need a little bit of extra help. Um, Heather, can you just give us just some last words of advice for parents that are struggling with either defiant or problematic behavioral problems with their children? Sure. Well, I think that the if, if you're listening to this today and you're like, wow, I want to try to do some of the things that you're talking about. A good first step uh, is to download my free guide. So if you go to prismbehavior.com and then you go slash free guide, then um, I, I have a free guide and it walks you through different types of reward systems. So it's called the like the the title once you download the guide is the easiest thing you can do to change your child's behavior because 
sometimes parents think that a reward system is hard, but the the reality is, you know, you're going to spend the effort anyways. Might as well spend it on the proactive side rather than on the disciplining or on the reactive side. So that's kind of my last little bit. And um, thank you so much for having me on the show today. I really appreciated it. And yeah. Yes, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. I'm sure we'll have you back again because we could have probably spoken for 10 hours on the subject of this. So uh, we will definitely have you back. Thank you so much for visiting and thank you for the work that you do in the community. Thank you. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.